Well, I had a lot of fun the past couple days. I was able to attend the Contagious Evangelism Conference here in Bellevue over at Westminster with several people from our church. And they didn't teach us this technique of walking with colored fishes through the aisles. And this, people automatically follow you. I've had to resort to more uh, slide methods, I guess. More subversive methods. And one of my favorite subversive methods of being an evangelist is I take my Bible to a local coffee shop and just sit down and do my Bible study there and read. Well, sure enough, it's like trolling. (laughs) So, sure enough, a couple weeks ago, I'm sitting there in the coffee shop doing my Bible study, and a young man walks by. He looks over and he says, what are you reading? Well, he knew what I was reading. He could see it was a Bible. So, this was a perfect invitation to start talking about faith. And sure enough, you know, we start talking, and within a couple minutes, we're right to the heart of the matter. What do you believe? And he's telling me his belief is that the Bible is simply an ancient book of good wisdom. But he certainly doesn't believe in, in God and Jesus and all that stuff. Well, I asked him a few questions. He argued with me a little bit. And then I guess he, when he realized he wasn't going to convert me... <laughs> He got ready to leave, and his parting remark was something like this. Well, I'm happy for you. I've heard this many times. Well, I'm happy for you. And I I said to him, well, why are you happy for me? He said, well, uh, because you have faith. And then he turned and walked away. Well, you know what? I don't think he answered that question truthfully. You see, he has faith, too. He has faith in the ability of his own mind to figure those things out for himself. I don't think it was my faith. I don't think when people say, I'm happy for you, that it's because of our faith in the gospel that they don't believe in. I mean, why on earth would you be happy for someone that believes a falsehood? Wouldn't you pity them? I don't think that's it. I think instead... What he envies isn't my faith in the gospel. I think what he envies is peace. It's the sense of peace that the gospel gives us. See, friends, that's that's the joy. That's the greatest joy we have to share with people is that in the gospel, we have the thing that the whole world is looking for. Everybody is looking for some peace of mind. And we have the gift of sharing that with them. I had another conversation just a while back on an airplane with another man. He was a professor of literature. And we got into a great conversation. He was fascinating because we talked about how uh, literature portrays cultural values and worldviews. And, of course, we got to the matter of faith. And he told me that he didn't believe that there was truth in, in the Bible. Again, he said that His belief was that the only truth in life is the truth that we make up for ourselves by interpreting our lives. The same way we would interpret a piece of literature. Well, he also shared with me a little bit about his family. And he had been through a painful divorce. And I could tell that the pain was was still kind of fresh. And he shared with me that he had a strained relationship with his teenage daughter. And... I asked him about 
his view of, of life and interpreting these events by his faith that he had in his ability to interpret life. And I said, do, do you find comfort in that? And he looked at me kind of puzzled, like, comfort in what? Well, I said, well, in your view of life. Do you, do you find comfort in your view of life? Well, let me tell you, that was a conversation stopper. His face turned cold. He muttered something like, what is comfort? And then he, he turned away from me and went right back to his book and read, didn't speak another word to me for two hours. Well, you can see what kind of great evangelist I am. <laughs> but that, that question, do you find comfort? That is a question. It's a, it's a risky question. It can either open up an outpouring of sharing from our hearts, or it can be a flat-out conversation stopper. Why? Because that question gets right to the heart of the human heart. It gets right to the heart of what it means to be human. Because the deepest longing of the human heart is to find peace. And that's the value of this text that Randy just read for us. You see what Paul is doing in this text? He is actually giving us a recipe for peace. Telling us right where it is and how to find it. It's the kind of peace that the whole world is looking for. It's the kind of peace that surpasses understanding. It's the only kind of peace worth having because it's the only kind of peace that stands up to everything that life can throw our way. And when we have that kind of peace, that's food for the soul. That's like having a full breakfast for the soul with pancakes and eggs and bacon and sausage and fresh berries and real coffee. And if the person sitting next to you has just got a stale, day-old, no-fat donut... You're going to want to share that peace because there's more where that came from. That's the magic of the gospel. And you see, Paul wants to share this peace with his friends in Philippi, his beloved friends. That's why he wrote this letter. And that's why when we get down towards the conclusion of this letter now, this is the gift he has for them. Let me tell you joy and peace. Let me tell you where to find it. And listen to what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace that passes understanding. That's the kind of peace I need. Because there's a lot about life that I don't understand. Especially the tough spots. But this one thing I do know. Every time I have turned to God in prayer, He has given me peace. Peace that flows like a river. Like the song we just sang. Peace that flows like a river. You know, when you think about it, peace, when you think about peace, I'm not sure a river is the first thing that comes to mind, is it? Maybe some more placid, idyllic scene. I mean, rivers are moving. Rivers uh, can be wild. Rivers have twists and turns. 
and they can be treacherous and have white water rapids. What's peaceful about a river? But you know, there's something about this song that I think just gets it right. Because peace is like a river, because peace and a river both have a source. And they both have a destination. And the secret of peace, like the secret of a river, is to know where it comes from and where it's going. The secret of peace is to know the source. And until we know the source of that peace, we can try anything. We can try to find peace in all kinds of fake substitutes for peace. That's what the human heart will do. If we don't know true peace, we'll try to find it either in addictions that numb the pain or stimulations that drown out the dull roar of despair. But finding the source of peace is a whole other thing. You know, finding peace by trying to search it out with our minds doesn't get us there, does it? If you've ever lain awake at night tossing and turning and twisting things over in your head and trying to figure things out and trying to figure out what's going to happen or how to control things so that they work out the way that you want them to work out, even though those things aren't really under your control anyway, you realize that the mind really isn't that great at being a source of peace. The mind is really good at worrying. I know mine is. So when we say we want peace of mind, we're kind of asking for the wrong thing in a way because I'm not sure peace of mind even makes sense. I think what we're really looking for is peace of soul. Peace of soul, because the soul is where peace flows. The soul, it includes the mind. The soul includes the mind, the spirit, the will, the heart. The soul is that part of us which is designed for relationship. The soul is that part of us which is designed and capable of loving someone. The soul is a part of us which is capable of making a decision and acting on it. The soul is the part of us which is capable of having a relationship with God. And God is the source of peace. And the way we find that peace is through our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in the words that we just heard. Jesus connects us to God, the source of peace. No, without Jesus, God can seem to dwell out of reach in inapproachable glory, but out of reach. But in Jesus, we're connected to God. Jesus knows the pain of our heart. He knows our deepest desire. He had a human heart, too. He had human flesh, too. And that's the reason that we can connect to peace through him. When I was visiting a young man in a hospital not long ago, I was really struck by his sense of confidence and peace. It, it, was, it almost disturbed me because the situation was that there's a young man in his prime of life. He's actually a, a rock and ice climber. And he's been strick, stricken by this really dangerous cancer. And I walked in his room, and he's just like radiant, like the vision of power and strength just in him. And I asked him about it. See, you, you seem so confident and peaceful about this. And he said, yeah, 
Yeah, I have complete peace about this. Well, why? He said, I know that my life belongs to God. And I know that God is with me in this. That's peace. Knowing that God is in it with us. And you know what the name for God with us is? Jesus. Well, prayer is one way that we find that peace. But this text actually gives us three ways to find peace. There's prayer, and then there come the practical advice in the second section of this. Paul goes on now, and he's going to give us the real world down to practical things you can do to find peace. And listen to what he says. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, fill your mind with these things. And then he goes on. What you have learned from me and received and seen and heard from me, do it! And you will find peace. The God of peace will be with you. Isn't this a great list? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. It kind of reminds me of the Boy Scout Oath. Trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. (laughs) Please do not ask me to tie a knot. But I do know this is practical advice, just as practical as tying a knot, because this tells me how to live. This is is a list of virtues, yeah, but the point isn't, let's spend our time contemplating this list of virtues. I don't know anybody who gets to the end of their life and and, and thinks, well, I I just wish I would have spent more time contemplating truth and and contemplating um, excellence and, and loveliness. No. What are these things? These are things that you do. The only way to know whether something is noble is to act nobly, to do a noble deed. True doesn't mean contemplating truth as some ideal concept. It means being true, being true in our relationships. And the list goes on and on with practical advice, excellence, and doing things that are praiseworthy. You see, peace isn't a matter of knowing the right things. Peace doesn't even come from knowing that there is a God. Peace comes from doing the right things. Peace comes from doing things that connect us with God. Peace comes from that relationship. We find it through prayer. And now let me give you the two other ways we find it. We find it by making choices. In other words, that's the part Paul is talking about with this list of virtues. When we choose virtue, when we choose to see virtue in the world. See, the thing about beauty is that beauty can be an ideal concept, but it can also be something else. Beauty can be something that connects us to God. And that's the reason I think that a peaceful scene gives us peace, even though it's static and placid. Yet, what it's doing is it's connecting us to the reality of a creator God. That's where the peace is coming from. And these virtues, when we fill our minds with these virtues, then we begin to act with virtue. 
The reason that has meaning is because there is a God who created us to enjoy that virtuous life. That's the kind of life that connects us with Him and with people. So we choose. We choose virtue. And you know the other practical benefit of choosing virtue is it breaks vicious cycles. When I think about the most difficult relationships I have, I can typically find a vicious cycle in the relationship somewhere. Uh, A cycle of passive-aggressiveness in one person and critical in another person or distrust. What is this? Breeds distrust. I mean, wherever there is a difficult relationship, typically there's some kind of vicious cycle. Well, setting our mind on virtues breaks the vicious cycle. It allows us to break out of that and live a virtuous cycle. All right, now here's the third thing. Once we've set our mind on virtue, we do it. We act. We act in faith. See, we get to choose what we're going to base our life on. That's the most basic freedom of a human being is to choose our attitude. We can choose what to seek. We can choose to seek power. And we can make choices that are going to end up leading us into a life of conflict. We can choose to have more control in our lives and make choices that end up with a life full of more worries. Or we can choose to have more of a relationship with God in our lives and end up with a life of peace and joy. These things connect us to God because they all are ways of turning to God in faith. Prayer, virtue, in acting it out, living out our faith. Because when you get right down to it, that's what faith is. Faith is a turning to God. Faith is a living out of our relationship with God. Final point about these virtues is that they're all signs of heroism, aren't they? If you think about any kind of heroic deed, you will find virtue. The reason is that Heroism is something that values something greater than ourselves. It's, it's living a life that says there's a greater reality and there's something more valuable than just my own needs. And human life is meant to be heroic. Viktor Frankl was a prisoner in a concentration camp for years during World War II. And he tells about the intense uh, unhappiness he had in one moment when he was able to escape. A friend had managed to figure out a way to get him and Victor out of the concentration camp and escape. Well, Victor had been caring for the sick and dying inmates because he was a doctor. And this idea of escaping was the thing he had been hoping and praying for the whole time he'd been there. And here it was, escape. Did he feel joy? No, he felt rotten. He writes about it in his book. He said it was intense displeasure because he had already packed his sack and he was walking out the door when a dying man said to him, so, you are getting out too? And he denied it, even though he was. But after he denied it, he had a change of heart. He went out, he did go outside, 
He met his friend and he told his friend, I'm not going with you. And then he ran back in. He says when he did that, he experienced the most intense pleasure of peace, the deepest sense of peace he had ever experienced in his life when he said no to the possibility of escape. He said no to the freedom of escape because he said yes to the freedom which is the thing that makes us human. The freedom to choose what we're going to base our life on. And he chose to base his life on heroic values. We get to do that all the time. We have living heroes all around us in this room. We had heroes standing up here who are giving up their lives to go to a place that's going to be hot and dirty and give up their vacation time. What Do you think they're going to experience displeasure there? You know what I think they're going to experience in Guatemala when they're with the village? I think they're going to experience joy and peace. We have uh, a man in this congregation whose wife had a stroke who basically has to spend his life uh, caring for her, loving her. That's heroic. We have people in this congregation who have been praying for a loved one to discover Jesus for 20 years. That's heroic. That's what it means to be human, to live a life that's heroic. That's what God designed us to do. Well, I have a promise for you. If you want to experience peace and joy, turn to God in prayer by making choices of virtue and by living it out. And the God of peace will be with you. And when that happens, you will experience peace like a river. Do you believe that? It's risky. It's doing something you don't have control over because you've got to trust God that He will do that. You've got to trust God through Jesus that He will be with you. There's only one way to find out. You've got to do it. You've got to act it out. And when you do that, you will experience that peace like a river. And the source of that peace is God. The destination of that peace is joy. And the one who guides us in the river is Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being the source of joy and peace and the deepest longing of our hearts. We rejoice in that. We pray that we would be capable of living it out even better each day with your help. And Lord, we also pray that you would use that peace and joy to be a light in the lives of people around us because we know that the source of that river is unlimited and that you want to pour it out through the whole world. So Lord, please find a way to use us to do that. And we rejoice in your name, Jesus. Amen.